It's the showdown we've been talking about on this podcast for quite some time. Welcome in. Today is Tuesday, April 16th. Another edition of the Rocktown Sports Pod by the Daily News Record. I'm Greg Medea, Jamie Football Beat Writer at the Paper, host of the podcast. I have prep writer Cody Elliott with me and sports editor Jim Sacco here to talk about what we've talked about already a little bit, but tonight is the night. Turner Ashby and Broadway meet on the softball field. We've kind of tabbed it as one of the best local rivalries uh, in in the area that we cover. And tonight they meet. Cody, I'll I'll start with you. You're headed over there in in just a little bit. What excites you about this matchup, about this rivalry, uh, when you get two teams that both have the end goal of a state championship uh, meeting together? I guess tonight they'll meet in Bridgewater, but meeting together tonight. Yeah, I'm excited just to see the rivalry in person. I mean, I've heard so much about it. This will be my first year here. Um, I've heard so much about the rivalry and and how much these two teams, you know, kind of enjoy that that heated um, back and forth with each other. But um, I think what's interesting about this year's particular matchup at this particular time is it's two teams that are kind of have been heading in opposite directions as of late. Um, You know, TA's kind of hitting their stride and and looking like the team we thought they'd be. They've they've won five in a row. They've had a dominating win over Spotswood last week and kind of made a statement there and then Broadway on the other hand has, has kind of been opposite they uh they get to a two nothing win um just kind of sweep by Rockbridge County which is the worst team in the Valley District and then they get blown out um 17 to 1 by East Rockingham so it's it's kind of you know it's kind of one of those things is I'm kind of interested to see what's going on with this Broadway team and can they kind of use this game as maybe a turning point for them and and kind of answer the bell here with you know against a good TA team and a rivalry game and see what they can do tonight I'm sure a win over T.A. for Broadway would certainly get the season going in the right direction. Jim, how much do you think these two teams pay attention to each other uh, before, you know, in the days and weeks leading up to that first meeting? Oh, I'm sure since, you know, Friday night when they were all done playing their their, their respective games, it, the attention just kind of was just a slow turn towards each other. Uh, you know, it, it's but like you said, it's one of those games where this one game can, you know, really turn the season around or turn the recent trend around, excuse me, for Broadway softball, or it's just going to solidify TA's, you know, stranglehold on that district. They're just going to, you know, cinch it even tighter, you know, whether it's one nothing or 17-1, to like they, you know, like Broadway lost to Class 2 East Rock. I mean, it doesn't matter. As long as TA comes out on top, it's going to cinch that their hold on the valley and at the same point if no matter what the score is if broadway goes out there and, and walks away from bridgewater at a win then it's just you know then it's just i you know at that point they're winning i'll guarantee you they're winning the next three four five straight i mean it's just one of those games where you know i don't want to put that much emphasis on one game especially when we're not even in may yet uh but you know the seesaws gonna go one way or the other here right quick and you know and, and if broadway can tilt it their way it's going to be really tough for Turner Ashby or anybody else, even with another meeting left between these two schools, to, to, to jet it back the other way. So, I mean, it's going to – this is important. This is important for both squads. And I'd say in, with the recent trend, it's – you know, there's a lot of added importance for Broadway out here. I think what's interesting tonight and kind of the biggest thing to watch for Broadway is what Taylor Hankins does. It, does she pitch, um, you know, and how productive is she? So, you know, she's – Arguably the area's best pitcher. You know, you got Michaela Sizzik, Taylor Hankins on both sides. The two, probably the two best pitchers in the entire area. Um, Taylor Hankins hasn't, you know, pitched as many games as you may, might expect. You know, Sizzik has pitched every single game for TA. Hankins has kind of been, you know, just 
pitching here and there while um, Grace Frobel has been getting most of the games. You know, I'm not sure if that's because of an injury or what's going on there. But, you know, if she comes out and she's her normal self, that's a game changer for Broadway. I mean, you know, she's a sophomore committed to JMU, um, you know, she's the real deal. So it, it's interesting to me to see if she comes out and, you know, that's the type of thing that could be a game-changing performance or a game-changing type of asset for Broadway. And if she, and if she pitches, this is this game's going an hour. This game's lasting an hour, <laughs> if that. And it's and it's it, it, assuming there's no extra innings, which is a possibility, even then maybe just an hour and ten minutes if it goes 18. Uh but I mean, this is a this is a one-one game if she's pitching. I was gonna say that's that's one of the great things about covering softball. You get an entertaining game, and it typically moves along <laughs> well, pretty quickly. Super quick. uh, do you think you think this could be some Broadway uh, strategy going on to, to not pitch, uh, not not pitch the ace over and over again, and, and just hold her hold her out until TA? It, it's possible. I mean, and Grace Frobel has has done her. She's done well. I mean, she's threw a perfect game. She's she's pitched well for them. It's not like she's been bad by any means. Um, you know, I, I'm not sure. So that that like I said, that's the big storyline for me tonight. Seeing what she does, and then kind of what this Broadway team, what's going on with them. Um, you know, it could be injuries, could be you know just whatever. But I know they are a young team, um, not not quite as experienced as TA. Um, but it'll be interesting. Like I said, like Jim said, a win tonight in Bridgewater over them. I mean, that could be completely game changing for them. And not not taking and let's just get this straight. I'm not trying to take anything away from East Rocking and softball, which is a very 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 solid class two program you know Ronnie does a heck of a job out there and those girls produce for him but that was just that game when I saw it it was just bizarre to me I mean that you know if if we if I see that game and Broadway loses 3-2 or something like that and then it's like oh hey you know wow that's that's wow East Rock you know but when I see 17 to 1 you know and it's like well what you know first thing is like oh you know goodness gracious East Rock what happened out there and then it's like well what What's ha- what? What happened to Broadway? I think you know that's a little bit you know concerning, I guess. But I mean, I don't you know that's that's the great unknown that Cody's going to find out tonight when these two teams uh, finally you know yeah. meet up in, in, in Bridgewater. They also play in baseball tonight. Uh, Broadway and TA uh, both both you know playing pretty well early in the season. Cody, what's I know you're not going to that game, but we'll have Tom Jacobs there covering it. What's your expectation for that one? Well, that's another um, game where, for the first time this year, we'll finally have someone in sole possession of first place in the Valley District. Um, the, both those teams sit at 3-1. and one. Um, Broadway's won eight straight now. Uh, TA's won four straight since a, kind of a rough start to the year. Um, so I think that's going to be a great matchup. And kind of similar to the, to the softball game in a different way Broadway's been playing well but it, it they've won some games over maybe some weaker opponents they haven't necessarily got that statement win yet you know you could argue East Rockingham was a good win but now with how East Rockingham's playing maybe not as much this is an opportunity for Broadway to show you know they're legitimate they're the real deal they can win this Valley District this year um you know I think if TA walks out of there with a the win tonight you know, we're back to square one. We talked about at the beginning of the season where it's kind of going as expected. TA's, you know, remaining that top team. Um, you know, we've seen Spotswood kind of fall off in recent weeks. Um, Fort's been kind of in the middle of the road. Um, Harrisonburg's young but improved. So, you know, I think tonight's game really has a chance to kind of, you know, separate one team or the other kind of can separate themselves as the top team in the district and kind of take, you know, control of the, the district standings here early. Cody released his baseball and softball power rankings 
yesterday on DNRonline.com. Uh, the one thing that jumped out, out at me on the baseball side is I don't know if Page County is going to get moved from that top spot all year, as long as T.R. Williams is healthy, right? Yeah, I mean, that, that team's loaded. Even, you know, T.R. Williams, he's given up three hits all year. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's absolutely... How many innings? Uh, do you have, an, you have a guess? I, How many starts? I cannot remember the innings number now. Let me, let me look this up while we're talking. But, I mean, he's just been absolutely out of this world this year. I mean, every time I've watched him play, he's been electric. Um, you know, and then they've got a lot of good bats throughout the lineup. They're constantly putting up big runs. Um, you know, that, that team, it's hard to see them being challenged in the Shenandoah District, and it's hard to see them being challenged even throughout the entire state. So, yeah, here's here's his numbers. He's 3-0, 25 innings pitched. He had an injury, so he hasn't even pitched as much as he'd like. 25 innings pitched. Um, he's given up three hits, walked six, and struck out 55. 55, that's unbelievable. <laughs> and a 0.00 ERA. So, I mean, the dude's been absolutely incredible. Um that team's not losing in the Shenandoah District. That team's probably not losing the region, and we're probably going to be following that team until mid midway through June. Um, they, they're they're the real deal, and like you said, I don't see them losing that top spot as as long as you know as long as he's on the mound. Is he the best pitcher in the area since let's see, like the kid who's who's now pitching the Orioles system, Hanafi? Is he is he the best pitcher in the area since Jim? You, you probably know a little. A little more about that. I saw uh, Hanafi pitch once and T.R. Williams pitch once, and and you know I don't I, I don't you know I. You're not a scout, okay? Yeah, I'm not a scout. I mean they they're both they're they're both very overpowering, you know, and just Hanafi just really overpowered. He he didn't you know they both they don't run from the batters. You know they're going right after you when you're batting. I you know I that's you know that's a tough call. I mean one's one's mate one's living the dream. One has one hasn't lived it yet. Uh, so I mean, in that aspect, I'd say you know, may, you know, the best sense. I'll say maybe the best sense. Uh, I'm not ready to say if he's you know better. Still got a couple of years left. Yeah, I want to see him put on a little more muscle, which I think you saw, which you saw in Hanafi from his senior year up until now, where it's and it's not you know it's it's not body mass. It's just more refined muscle mass. Uh, you know, Tr is I don't want to say rail thin. Uh, but he's got some he's got some weight room ahead of him, which you know why college you know probably is the way for him to go right now. You know that that may change in two years. Uh, you know depending on what his weight room you know tech you know workout is now. But yeah, I'm not, yeah, I think they're they're very similar. Let's say that they're very similar. On the softball side, Cody, your, your power rankings: Turner Ashby at top. You put Broadway in the number five spot, obviously after that tough loss to East Rock. Page County there at number two, though, and, and you, you've said all along that you think they're the favorites in the Shenandoah District still, no doubt. I do, but, but there is a little bit, I think it's a little closer than, say, the baseball side. You know, baseball, I think, Page, it's going to take a lot for Page to lose that district. Um, I think the on the softball side, they're certainly still the favorites, but they are a little bit more um, vulnerable than, you know, the baseball team. Um, you've got teams like Wilson, um, who has beat them already once this year. Um, then you've got East Rock now playing well. They beat Wilson. Uh, Buffalo Gap's coming on late. They've only got two league losses. So you've kind of got a couple teams there that can maybe make a push. Um, but I think, you know, again, when everything's settled at the end of the year, I think we end up eventually, you know, giving the trophy to Paige. If, there, if there's a team that can make a push at him, though, it's definitely Wilson Memorial. And, and, and here's why is that, you know, they're, they're young and dumb. And what I mean by that is they're, they're a very young team, if I'm not mistaken. And when you're that young, I mean, all you know is that, yeah, Paige won the state championship last year. You're, 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 you're too dumb to be scared by it because you're just – 
You know what I'm trying to say? I mean, it's you know, whereas if you're a veteran, you're a senior-laden team, and Paige already beat you to get there to the state championship game. I mean, you you know what's coming. If you're if you're dumb enough not to know what's coming, you kind of play a little more loose, and which is why I think Wilson got that walk-off win over them. Yeah, I mean, Wilson's a, they're a really good team. They're really young, like Jim said. They're all, I mean, it's a lot of sophomores. They've got arguably, you know, in my opinion, the, the best player in the district, and um, Jaya Diggs Hagwood. She's a pitcher and a, a hitter. She's hitting over five. Hundred for the year. She's got a four, five, and a pitching record. She's really, really good. And then you know they've got some non-district wins over uh, Fort Defiance, who's a, a decent Class Three team. Um, they've they've beaten several Class Three teams on their schedule. So yeah, like he said, I think that that kind of that dumb, you know, just they don't they're not scared of the the big sister type attitude can eventually pay off for them and you know maybe give them a chance at a run. Yeah, no, in- interesting, and certainly keeping things, I guess, intriguing here is in the thick of this baseball softball season. Cody, I also wanted to get uh, to soccer today with you. I know you had a story today uh, in today's paper about Broadway. What's kind of just the overall soccer landscape? We'll start on the girls' side since your story was on the Broadway girls. Yeah, I think they've just separated themselves here early as the, the district's best team in a, in a league that during the year nobody really knew who was going to emerge and maybe spots on Broadway were kind of expected to a little bit based off last year. But, um, you know, early on is kind of a, a mess in terms of everybody kind of looked even. And in the past few weeks, Broadway's really kind of separated themselves. They've only got one loss. That was to Clark County, a non-district team. And then they tied with Harrisonburg. Other than that, they've won every game. Um, you know, they don't blow you away. They're not going to score four or five goals on you every night, but they're going to play sound defense and they're just going to control the ball and I think early on you know until somebody else shows me anything differently you know I think Broadway has to be the favorite to win the district and you know continue to advance through regionals. This is the first year the Bobby the post Bobby Mongold era there (laughs) at Broadway on the boys side what's what's it look like there who's shaping up as the favorites in in the Valley District? Yeah, I mean, Spotswood and Harrisonburg, man. They, I, I went to that game last week, and that, that's that goes up there. I told Jim when I got back to the office, that goes up there in terms of the rivalries in, in, um, in the area. I mean, those two teams were going at it from start to finish. Um, you know, you had the, the trash talk back and forth. You had, had guys, you know, talking to the fans in the stands. You had a red card. A kid get ejected for a red card. I mean, you had it all in that game, and um, it was a, a goal with, I think, about 15 minutes remaining that ended up lifting Harrisonburg, um, you know, after, after the game they got both teams they didn't hold back with with their thoughts on each other and I, I just think you know they play again May 7th and, and Spotswood and I think that's that's going to be a game that ultimately will decide you know the district champion because I don't see either team losing to anyone else in the in the district um you know obviously those two teams won't see each other in the postseason you know because Harrisburg goes to class five but man for the for the Valley District those two teams are, they, they just are exchanging blows. Lastly wanted to get to something else you're writing about you're, you're, you're working on it now uh, I know there's there's something going on with Chris Frazier that's that's a little scary, uh, but you were able to sit down and talk to him about it. This is the football coach at Turner Ashby. Uh, what's the situation and what's the story you're, you're working on? Um, so yeah, he. I mean, basically, he he said he went to the doctor 12 years ago. Um, found out he has uh, polycystic kidney disease. Um, it's been one of those things where he's been able to to do everything normally. Um, he hasn't felt a lot of side effects. Um, and then in the, within the past few months, he started, you know, noticing a little bit more fatigue. Um, not as he just said he felt a little more tired. He wasn't sure if that was old age or what. Ended up going back to the doctor, and his kidneys now at about 20% um, functioning level. Um, he now it's going to continue to decrease, obviously. But he went to the doctor, um, went ahead and got approved um, for a kidney transplant. 
so now he's actively looking for someone to uh, to hopefully find a living donor. Um, you know, it's something where he said it, it could be two years um, before it gets into the single digits, which he, which he said is when it gets, you know, extremely critical that he finds it. But he's trying to be proactive now. He, he, he The way he put it to me was he's in the fourth quarter and he, he's trying to make sure he, he takes care of things before, it, before time runs out. And um, so, you know, He's just he's looking for an active donor. There, he set up some things through social media on Facebook and different things like that. He's um, you know just trying to get the word out there. Um, but you know he, what was incredible to me is you know I'm sitting there as he's talking, just you know thinking you know he, this guy's got to be scared, and he just had you know the the best attitude about it all. He's he's kind of just taking this thing head on, and he he said he hasn't really thought about it much. He's kind of used football and and teaching at the school is kind of a a thing to keep his mind off of it, but. Um, yeah, we'll have that story later this week. But yeah, he's he's actively looking for a donor um, and hoping hoping to find something soon. So yeah, scary, scary stuff though. And you know, hope hope Chris uh, finds finds a donor there. What good stuff, Cody. Uh, appreciate you you dropping by to talk about all the prep stuff in the area, Jim. I wanted to get back to you though uh, because I know locally we had we had some highlights over at the Boston Marathon. Uh, I guess taking some local stuff national now. And uh, the Eastern Mennonite women's basketball coach, Jenny Logan, putting together a good time at the Boston Marathon. Had the best time of our four, you know, local runners. Uh, I mean, Carol Clark of Lorray ran it in four hours, 31 minutes, 39 seconds. Mary Liscom of Lorray ran it in three hours, 53 minutes, 32 seconds. Out of Grotto's Corinne, I'm going to butcher this poor lady's last name, Makirwich ran it in 3 hours, 53 minutes, and 29 seconds. And then here's Jenny Logan. She of a 10-16 overall record, 7-11 in the ODAC in her first year at Eastern Mennonite, runs it in 3 hours, 16 minutes, 17 seconds. I, I texted, uh, when I saw the name, I did a double take. I was like, why do I, you know, why is this name... Why is his name making me raise my eyebrows? And I texted James DeBoer, the sports information director at EMU, and I asked, is that the Jenny Logan? And the reply back was, yep, that's the Jenny Logan. Uh, so I mean that's a good run for. Her. I mean you know it, you know what the heck you know you go your 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 first year uh, coach at EMU take over for Kevin Griffin you're a 22 grad at Bridgewater College where you played for Gene Willis the legendary Gene Willis who's ob- arguably the biggest Rockingham County baseball league fan among us. Uh, Gene Willis schedule's out by the way. Yeah, Gene, Sched- yeah. schedule's out. And I called her Gene Willis. I meant Gene. Gene Willie. Willie. Gene Willis. Yes. Yep. Uh, who's a huge RCBL fan? I believe Clover Hill though. I don't want to put a hat on her head if if I'm wrong. Uh, and to go out there and run that race is just is pretty spectacular. I mean, uh, I'm going to go check her out. Uh, we're going to go talk to each other tomorrow about 1 o'clock. I'm going to head over there for a column or a story and just figure out what, you know. she. I mean, I guess she looks like one. I mean, she's not, you know, she's a point guard, so she's not like 7'12 out there on the on the, the basketball court. The thing, the thing that stands out to me is, though, you know, coaches, just the, the nature of the job, especially at the D3 level, Always around road recruiting, so you got to wonder between you know the recruiting commitment and just the time commitment you need to practice every day and be with your team, at, you know, on the road and, and in the gym. Where do you find the time to train for a marathon? I mean, that's not like running a 5K where you have 25 minutes a day to hop on a treadmill. You, you need some serious commitment and discipline to do that in addition to the basketball duties. It, it's going to sound like an insult, but it's not because any runner will, sh- will nod their head and agree with me. They're nuts. 
Okay, they are they are certifiably insane. These runners, and they you know they get addicted to it. It's like the worst drug in the world. I mean, they start running, they just can't stop running. Oh, they'll find time. You know, they'll find time to run. Whether it's five thirty in the morning, six in the morning, they'll find time to run and train. And and yeah, I, that's one of the things I want to ask. Because you know, when do you find time for this? You're a Division three women's basketball coach who you know. There's a lot of legwork involved in that, you know. It's uh, you you get you get the you get prospects to come to your D three school face to face, not over email and not. So I mean, she's running around meeting these these girls, these high school girls, trying to get them to come to EMU. Uh, she's doing it in person. Uh, so I'm just curious that and what what she loads up on carbs with. I mean, is she a pasta person? I mean, that's a buddy of mine ran like the Roanoke Marathon, and that's what he did. You know, he went out to Olive Garden of all places for oh. crying out loud. Yeah, don't get me started. And you know, all you can eat is uh, you know pasta for like two and a half hours to carb load. Uh, so I, I'm interested to see what what it what it takes to do it. I mean, she is the plot pride of Loray, you know, leading lead, all time leading scorer in Loray Bulldogs girls basketball history. How, how much would you hate just being one of her players, knowing you'll, you'll probably be in never as good a shape as as your coach? Oh yeah, no excuses during practice now. I mean, during any stamina drills, you're screwed. Okay, you're you're just you're getting no excuses flying, you know, because you know she's like, I ran the Boston Marathon, you know, and you're like okay, I'll do four more suicides up and down the court, you know. I mean, it's just yeah, I mean it's those poor girls. <laughs> oh jeez, yeah, seriously, man. What what what? I, I, I'm excited to read that though. When whenever you talk to her tomorrow and then afterward, let's, I'll be excited. Let's, let's, let's switch the tables now, Greg. Oh, you want to switch, Greg? I understand you have something neat happening here uh, tomorrow on Wednesday. Actually, what? I, tell us a little about that, sir. I do, and it fits in because it's EMU related uh, to, to an extent. Uh, I guess you can call it Harrisonburg Turks related too. Bob Weiss would be mad if I didn't mm-hmm. if I didn't plug the Turks, but I'm going up to D.C. tomorrow to see the Washington Nationals host the San Francisco Giants. And I'm not just going to sit in a fan as a sit in a seat as a fan and eat a hot dog. I'm going to go report on Eric Kratz, uh, the EMU alum, Harrisonburg Turk, uh, former standout. Uh, also, uh, you know, lives in, the, lives in the Valley, lives in Harrisonburg. So going to go catch up with him, see how he's doing with San Francisco because Right before the season, he was traded from Milwaukee to San Francisco, and we talked about it a little bit uh, before opening day, uh, about how he knew he was going to be on the move again. Uh, we've been through all the different teams he's played for, so I'm going to go up and talk with him, maybe talk with a couple other giant players and, and manager Bruce Bochy uh, to see how he's fitting in up in, in San Francisco. Uh, I think it'll be really neat because, uh, you know, a, a, anybody around here, you talk to Eric Kratz about, somebody that knew him, you know, when he, when he was, you know, a local kid, uh, coming up at EMU or playing for the Turks, uh, they'll tell you, you know, he was as good of a guy then as he is now. I've talked to him a bunch over the phone when I've done stories, never met him in person, so I'm excited uh, to do that. Uh, and you may see his 100th career RBI. He got his 99th on Thursday night when he caught. He hit a walk-off fielder's choice, but here's this, the, the mind-boggling part about eight, that eight, the Giants' 18-inning win over the Rockies. He caught all 18. All, all 18 innings. My goodness, those are 38-year-old knees. My God, and he's been catching forever. I'm sure he doesn't mind, but uh, yeah, that, that's that's what jumped Man. out to me. I had that written down too. Caught all 18 innings Man. too. Uh, he'll he's there because they need a backup to Buster Posey, who's who's. He's aging all. He's getting a little older also. Yeah, but he's not 38. <laughs> but he's not 38. But when Kratz is in there, he's probably expected to give Buster the night off. I mean, that, that would be my guess. Yeah. Is when the Giants play Kratz, Buster gets the night off, gets to put his feet up, or maybe play first base and pinch hit later on. But 
when Kratz is in there, he's probably going to stay in, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm six years older than him, and I wouldn't need, you know, I don't think they make knee savers big and, you know, wide enough to allow me to catch for 18 innings. Goodness gracious. I mean, that's, but good for him. I mean, he's, I don't want to say he's scuffling because he never, you know, I mean, he's, you know, he's not a superstar, but he's batting 105 uh, coming to the series with the Nats. Uh, one RBI, like I said, he's got 99 for his career. Uh, and the latest San Francisco Chronicle article referred to him as a Milwaukee folk hero, which which I, I kind of I'm like. sure he likes that better than journeyman catcher. Yeah, oh, sure, definitely, definitely, and, and which I thought was kind of cool, and, and it'll be good for him to, to, to get back locally. Uh, I'm sure there's going to be a heavy uh, Weiss uh, and, our, you know, Weiss Valley League and, and probably a RCBL contingent up there, prop possibly EMU. I think EMU plays play tomorrow, tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, so maybe they're go, they're going up today or Thursday. That would be that would be my guess. Yeah, they got a three o'clock yeah. game tomorrow against Shenandoah. I want to say, or I could be wrong. Uh, so I mean, there's going to be a heavy presence up there this week, and, and good for him. I bet the there's a, you know they got a 13th jersey to add to those. Uh, that his buddies who are going to raid his closet, no doubt, either today, tomorrow, or Thursday. Probably Thursday for the getaway game, where it's like you and I were talking. If there's a game he's probably going to get into, it's probably going to be that Thursday day game. Yeah, right. you got to think probably Posey catches tonight and tomorrow night, and then uh, the day game Wednesday, day game after a night game. That's the uh, that has backup catcher written all over it. So that's probably that's probably his game. I love the I love the AP photos of by the way of his celebration of a walk off because you know you're looking at it and you're just he's just he's got this incredible smile on the you know the red face from yelling and you're just like it's a walk off fielder's joints. <laughs> I mean it's it's still a walk off walk off's a walk off but I just thought it was I just thought it was hilarious you know. I'm sure it, it probably just doesn't get old for him you know a guy who battled his way through the minor leagues for the longest time, uh, rode, the, uh, rode the bus back and forth between AAA and the big leagues for a long time. I'm sure, and, and as he put it to me you know, a couple months ago before I talked to him when he went off to spring training, uh, he basically said, you know, I, I know there are a lot of 30-year-old guys that are better than me and don't have jobs, uh, and he's you know, 38-year-old catcher uh, who does have a job. So I think he 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 appreciates every moment that that happens along the way. And, and he he fills a niche, you know. I mean, he he fills that that, and I think we we have talked about this. He he fills that veteran, humble, you know, not going to win my job second catcher presence, and and he does it very 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 well. And it and it's and you know, there's always going to be a need for that on a lot of these teams because. When you get, especially when you get to those positions like catcher, where it's one guy who usually has a rapport with the pitchers, it's it's and, and nothing against the number one catcher, but I mean they, they take I mean anyone takes ownership of their starting position, and these are my pitchers, these are my guys, you know this is my relationship with them, and you get another guy with a huge ego coming in, or a guy who's a you know a, a former all star coming in, and, and you know there's a little bit of an ego clash, and you're never going to get that with with Eric because you know he's not an all star. Uh, and even if he was, I don't think there would be a, you know, he wouldn't be on the, the, the giving end of that Eagle Clash. He might be on the receiving end. Uh, but he's just a very humble individual who's just, like you said, you know, he knows how lucky he is. Yeah. And, and he's just enjoying still what he's doing because at 38 years old as a catcher, you know, he, he doesn't have that many years left to do this. You know, maybe one or two more years if he, you know, if he, if he doesn't get to go on on his own terms. He's, you know, you're not catching until you're 40 these days anymore. You're not. 
No, nah, not not at all. It'll, it'll be interesting, too, because the Giants have some guys on the roster that he played with earlier in his career. Tony Watson was a reliever with Pittsburgh when he was there. I think Melanson, too, uh, was with the Pirates when he was there. Uh, so, it, it, you know, it should just be fascinating to hear some other ends. I always just hear the, the from the Eric Kratz side. So I think that's going to be kind of neat, too, to hear some of the other perspectives about him. And ain't nothing like a bait. Ain't nothing like an MLB clubhouse, man. <laughs> we'll see. It'll, it'll be my first time in one, so we'll see. It's interesting walking around and, and you know, everyone's just – they're all available, whether they choose to be or not. So a lot, you know, what I what I always thought, thought was interesting is you walk around. Hey, can we talk about something? No, I gotta go. I gotta go take BP. And they get up and leave, or they say, "No, catch me after the game." And uh, I always thought it was just it was just unlike anything I have ever been in, where everything's very, uh, uh, you know, uh, orchestrated. You know, next up on the podium, so and so. Next up on the so and so. You and you go into MLB clubhouse, and it's like a free for all where guys are deciding whether or not they they you know they, they're gonna talk to you or not it's fun and it's probably the nature of 162 compared to <laughs> yeah. compared to the grind of uh, of college football and national football league where uh you know it's one week and everything during that week is scheduled yeah. and organized whereas baseball you play so many games you, you might as well just let the guys decide for themselves and there's so many different guys to talk to right you know, right or, you know because i mean you you know you just you know it's just a bunch of guys in there do different things and give you different perspectives on the same thing and it's just really cool as opposed to always talking to a quarterback or always talking to a wide receiver running back or the same defensive guy so yeah excited to go up tomorrow to dc uh to see eric kratz and see what he can do uh talk to him a little bit about uh his his new role with the san francisco giants after being dealt from milwaukee earlier this offseason gonna switch gears now do a little james madison sports talk uh, bringing in Shane Metlin, JMU, women's basketball, men's basketball, now softball, now lacrosse, writer. Uh, it, it's kind of a hectic time for Shane as he's switching gears. And we'll, we'll stick on the diamond, though, at least, and then talk a little softball. Duke's 31-7, and uh, swept UNCW over the weekend. Uh, clear path to the CA title. They'll host Duke, right? Duke tomorrow for a doubleheader. Uh, the Blue Devils in town. Yeah, yeah, Duke there. Um they're kind of a mid-level ACC team this year, so it'll be, you know, won't be their biggest challenge of the year so far. They play a lot of ranked teams and everything, but it's nice little late season, midweek doubleheader to uh, keep them fresh. I think. Yeah, last week they had Virginia Tech uh, doubleheader with the Hokies down in Blacksburg. Split that, uh, so now trying to take two tomorrow uh, from an ACC opponent. Let's let's just start though. Megan Good, uh, you knew I was going to go here because she was drafted. Last night in the National Fast Pitch uh, Women's League, uh, 10th overall by the USSA Pride. I had to, I had to get that right. Yeah, um, and congrats to her. Um, you know, it's a little bit different when you're talking a sport like softball with the drafting and things happen in season. And it's it's not quite the NFL yeah. draft. Yeah, but, um, you know, that... She's got that option for her ahead of her now, depending on what she wants to do when she finishes up here, is all graduated and everything. And, you know, so, you know, good situation for her, I'm sure. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what she decides to do. Uh, definitely could pitch at that level, I'm sure. Definitely. What, what, do you know the difference between have, what the biggest jump is, I guess, from college to uh, the, the, the pro league? You know, I really don't. I know, you know, some of the top players in the college level do go on and play professionally. Some of them don't. You know, when you get into these sports where the money isn't, you know, right. we're not talking might millions be of dollars. You know, people have different options or, you know, they might be ready to move on to whatever degree they've earned and things like that. But, you know, 
lots of people really love the sport too and you know you see people like Jenny Finch go on to long pro careers and so that's going to be there for her I haven't talked to her about it yet so you know that that's kind of thing yeah I can't speak too much on what her intentions are to do with that but you know definitely to be picked in the top 10 at the professional level in any sport that's an honor for you and you know it's something she's earned over the past five years here especially fighting back from the injury she had last year and she and a couple of her teammates have just absolutely been hammering the ball around the yard at the plate uh her kate gordon odyssey alexander what do you make of what the dukes are doing at the dish uh really the, the power supply has, has been there yeah and the three you mentioned there are people you expected it from um, i actually got a story coming in the paper tomorrow about sophomore logan newton who um, had three hits all last season. She's got nine home runs already this year. You know, she's driven in 35 runs. So she's like right there in the mix with, you know, their top hitters this season. She's batting in the number five spot. Um, so, you know, that, that's the, you know, kind of a big thing that they've done this year is you expected some of these players who were all conference level last year to come in and continue to put up the same kind of numbers, but having people down in the bottom half of the lineup doing it, that's, that's another thing altogether. Yeah, no, that's, that's certainly pretty good. Logan Newton, too, our older sister was in the program a couple of years ago. Good player, right? Yeah, yeah. Her sister was an all-CAA player a couple of years ago. Um, so, yeah, Taylor Newton. Taylor, yep. So, you know, I think people expected this from her at some point in her career, but to make such a huge jump from freshman to sophomore season is, you know, a significant one. What What do you expect for them over the next couple of weeks? Because obviously it's getting out of that time where – People start to look at projections for, for the NCAA tournament, uh, for a regional, hosting a regional possibly. What's the expectations for JMU over the next couple of weeks as, as you start to get toward postseason a little bit more? Yeah, I think, you know, they're probably pretty hopeful they can host a regional again. Um, they're, they're in a situation, it's similar, we talked about this so much with the JMU women's basketball team where... You know, they have some of these midweek series with ACC teams. They got Duke this week. They've got UVA next week. But they're not the top 25 programs like they played some earlier in the season. So where they are right now is kind of where they're going to be probably as far as, you know, the rankings and, you know, power rankings, RPI, all those kinds of things. Uh, assuming they just keep winning their conference games, which you would expect. Yeah, do you think they have to kind of win out in conference and take just – completely take care of business in the conference tournament when it comes it's in Harrisonburg right again yeah I believe so and you know you would expect them to do that you know softball baseball those are the sports where you know you might lose a game here or there you you know you don't go undefeated in those sports right but, right just the nature but, of the sport yeah but yeah when we talk about winning out you know you expect them to win each series each series down down the rest of the year and um yeah, I think they do need to take care of that business because they have a solid resume, but their number of quality wins are going to be the same as if you play in the SEC and you're playing a ranked opponent every weekend. It's just it's just the way it is for Team of the CA. How, how much do you think those early wins they had? I, mean, I remember they went down to that big tournament where they were playing a ranked team basically every night. How, how, how do you think that helps them or hurts them, I guess, as as evaluators start to look at JMU? I it helps, I'm sure. Um, and they also, you know, they split the doubleheader with Virginia Tech last week. Virginia Tech's in the top 25. So they've shown, even since then, that they can still play at that level. You know, it's not kind of the same. You know, I'll, I'll keep taking it back to basketball. It's not like Gonzaga and the men's side where, you know, they play those games early on and then you're wondering, well, yeah, they're beating people in the West Coast Conference by 
30 points a game, but what does that really tell us about them? It's not quite the same thing, even though they're they're doing a little bit of that when it comes to their CA teams. I mean, uh, they gave up a two-run homer late in the game against uh, UNC Wilmington, but to that point, they'd outscored them 31 nothing in the series. <laughs> like that point, I mean, it was it was kind of crazy just how dominant they were. And against a solid, you know, team that's wasn't like you know the bottom of the barrel in the conference. Locals, I know that's always a big issue with with the softball. You got the local girls on the team, Megan, Kirsten Roadcap, and as we mentioned, Kate Gordon. How how are they doing? Obviously, Gordon and, and Good are, are not going to cover off the ball. Yeah, um, and you know, Kirsten Roadcap continues to play well. She's kind of you know one of the leaders on the team as a catcher. Uh, she manages that pitching staff pretty well. Um, she had a grand slam uh sunday against the uh, unc wilmington so she can hit the ball too uh, maybe doesn't hit for the same kind of average as some of those other players you mentioned but you know she's definitely a key part of the uh lineup there and you know probably wouldn't be where they were without her. yeah good good a fort defiance grad gordon from page county and then road cap from turner ashby so softball team kind of rolling along at this point and, and looking forward to that ca tournament i think it, I, I i imagine for them they got to be at the point uh you know you're, you're f- nearly 40 games in you're probably like all right let's get to the postseason and see what happens yeah i think there's some of that um but they do also seem to be a group that just enjoys playing and being out there every day so you know get out there you wonder how focused they can continue to be when they're beating caa teams Six nothing, ten nothing, twelve two. Um, you know their starters are out of the game by the third inning, things like that. You know that. that how much does yeah. that you know impact where they go from here? But you know maybe that's a good thing that they're saving some arms, they're saving some at bats at this point. But also you know people like to get into a rhythm where they're you know playing you know real competitive games. How, how comfortable is Lauren Laporte in year two? What's just your, your feel there? I, she seems pretty comfortable. I don't think. You know, I'm fairly new to covering this whole right. team and everything. It doesn't seem like when someone you would guess is a young coach in her second year. You know, she she's and she's definitely been around the program, around the sport for a long time. So that makes sense. But yeah, I think most people wouldn't guess. Oh, this is a you know kind of a newbie coach here. But you know, she's handling uh, stepping into a situation with so much talent. You know, really well. Yeah, no, it's, it's interesting for sure. So softball. 31-7. and seven. I'll play a doubled header with Duke tomorrow. Uh, I'm sure Shane will be keeping up with the Duke softball over the next couple of weeks as they uh, start gearing up for the postseason. Uh, just, to, just to switch topics a little bit, uh, go to over to basketball, because I know there's been some movement on the transfer market. Let's start with the women. They pick up a transfer uh, from, from UVA, Brianna Tinsley. What does she provide, and how did Sean O'Regan land her? Um, well, there's been a connection to the JMU program for a long time. She committed early in her high school career. I think she was either a sophomore or just into her junior year. She committed while Kenny Brooks was still the coach at JMU. Kind of reopened her commitment at that point when Kenny Brooks left. Was getting a lot of interest from you know ACC schools. Wanted to see what she could do at that level. So she wound up at UVA. Um, and she's a relatively local product too for Madison County. So she's just kind of down 33 over the mountain there and um you know she liked being close to home for both both looking at uva and jmu so um there was that uh uva went through a coaching change then last season um so it just seems like you know she 
you know, came out and said she was, wasn't happy there anymore, even though she was, you know, a very productive player, averaging about eight points a game as a sophomore. Um, so this is that's a strong pickup for uh, JMU. This isn't like, you know, somebody who didn't get off the bench in the ACC. This is, you know, somebody who's proved she can play at this level. Starter? Starter from day one, you think? You would think that would probably be a strong possibility because, you know, she'll sit out this coming season and then JMU's going to lose their, you know, really good five player senior class after this season, you know, led by Kamaya Smalls, Lexi Barrier, Jackie Benitez, all those all those girls play in the backcourt, so there's gonna be a lot of minutes in the backcourt available coming in when her eligibility resumes. Gotcha. On the men's side they lose uh, a player to the transfer portal, uh, Greg Jones. What's his plan? Uh, what what I guess kinda of Lou say about it? Um Lou just said um, you know, that he's player who's done everything that's been asked of him while he was here i think he's just looking for another opportunity to uh you know get a little it happens more, in today's get age. a little bit more <laughs> playing time um you know he played a significant amount this year he was in the starting lineup regularly to start the season uh kind of you know his minutes were up and down then from there uh he's kind of you know they list him at six seven i wouldn't be surprised if he's more like an actual six six type of guy so he's a little bit undersized to be the power forward um at this level but you know he did some nice things he was the kind of guy he averaged two and a half points a game a couple rebounds a game um so he's the kind of guy who could come in you know make some hustle plays he'll draw a charge he'll save a ball going out of bounds things like that uh but i think he could also kind of see the writing on the wall and they're bringing in you know Three players who are six seven or bigger who are going to take a lot of minutes next year, I would think. Uh, you know, especially you know, Lou talks a little bit about you know how Michael Christmas, who signed from Virginia Beach, can be kind of you know a guard or a forward. Maybe let them play a little bit more smaller lineups next year. Um, Devon Flowers was a redshirt this year. Um, after getting hurt, he'll be getting a lot of minutes. You know, at the power forward spot next year. So. I think you know he probably could just see that his minutes were probably going to decrease as the next two seasons went on. So it makes sense for him to kind of look for another opportunity there. Other than that, you think Lou keeps the rest of the guys in in place pretty much, or are you unsure there? I think there's a good chance they do. Um, Matthew Erbach, who is a freshman guard this year, he's his name is in the transfer portal. He's you know free to kind of look at his options. But talking to some people around the program, it sounds like they think there's a good chance he comes back. He's just in a similar position where, you know, he really likes it here, but how much playing time is there going to be for him going forward? And he shows some things late in the season coming off the bench, you know, make a three here or there, getting some quality minutes. Uh, but as they bring in some guys who play the same position, um, you know. There's only so many minutes to go around. Yeah, and he's not, you know, he's not going to, you know, knock Darius Banks out of the starting lineup next year you know, and or the year after that, and you know, they bring in. You know, we talked about Michael Christmas. That we brought in um, Quinn Ritchie, who's a shooting guard from Georgia, who's just you know uh, a great shooter who will probably get some of those opportunities to come off the bench and kind of you know give them a spark with the uh, instant offense type of deal. Um, so it, it'll be a little tougher for him. And you know, another situation with this team is right now. With Greg Jones leaving, that leaves them at 13 scholarship players. When they thought Greg was going to stay, they were going to be in the fort. They're going to have 14 people on the roster. Right. Um, everybody who's coming back was on scholarship last year, so somebody was going to be turned into a preferred walk-on for at least a year. Uh, and I know 
you know, Matthew Erbach probably was a candidate for that. They hadn't, you know, talked to everybody or decided what they're going to do with that yet. And I think, you know, they will look at that situation because you never know at this level who's going to leave. And, you know, the odds of somebody leaving are pretty good. generally pretty strong. So they're in that situation now. But they're still open to looking at some transfers and things coming in next year, um, depending on who's available, who maybe reaches out to them. So we could still see that. And I would imagine, you know, if somebody gets told, yeah, we want you to, you know, be off scholarship for a year, you, you can't blame them if they decide to look around for you know, another opportunity at that point. Yeah, for sure. Definitely got to do what's best for the individual yeah. uh, and pretty much any any and every college uh, sport that's the case. Last thing I wanted to get to today, the James Madison spring football game uh, was this past Saturday. Finally, spring football is in the books. Uh, 30-7 to win for James Madison's offense. I guess you could call it a win for the offense. They don't, they don't really keep score, uh, but I was keeping t- track of the touchdown score and the extra points. So uh, the lone defensive touchdown came from D'Angelo Amos on a 65-yard interception return for a touchdown. Cole Johnson had hit Jameer Hudson uh, for a 77-yard touchdown pass. That was kind of the longest play of the game. Solomon Van Horse had a 62-yard catch on a throw for Ben DiNucci that led to a field goal. DiNucci also threw another touchdown, uh, one to Davis Patterson, a 20-yard touchdown strike. Uh, Van Horse also had a rushing touchdown, so that's how you got your touchdowns uh, this past Saturday. Spring in the books, though, and my big thing with it is, you know, you, you can kind of feel the difference and this is the overall body of work, not just Saturday spring game, but you can definitely feel the difference between the two staffs. Mike's uh, previous staff, would, would, which was led by Mike Houston, and this staff, which was led by Kurt Signetti, which is led by Kurt Signetti, I should say, uh, definitely could feel the, the difference in practices, the difference in what's important to each coach, I would say. Just with Signetti, uh, the big thing, I think, is the, the short practices. Uh, you know, he doesn't practice very long, only about two hours, but... Every minute of those practices, somebody's doing something. There's always a drill. Not a lot of players standing around. And I think he likes that that focus uh, for that that short window of time is only on practice. And, and that's something he's been stressing is, that, you know, the focus has got to be huge. Uh, the focus always has to be on what they're doing that day and what they're doing that minute uh, to the players. And I think that's something the players, uh, you know, thought was a, decent, a nice little change-up uh, for this spring. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Uh, so JMU spring football in the books. I'm glad. I'm glad it's done. I'm sure. You, I'm yeah. sure you are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So uh, spring football in the books. I'm sure I'll be there to tell you all about what's going on with their summer workouts in a couple of weeks uh, as they get into that come come mid to late May. Uh, but for that, you know, spring football is done, and uh, we all can move on because everything will be changed by August anyway. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm kind of getting a lot of my information just from reading you. I haven't been out to, you know, football practices like you have. But, you know, everybody's interested to see who wins the quarterback job, things like that. But, I, you know, I heard you mention on another show that, you know, there's going to be freshmen coming in. There's going to be guys coming in here between now and the start of the season. So the spring was big, but maybe August and September yeah, well, July is going to be even bigger. Yeah, I think I think that's, that's fair. And definitely because you think about not only – are there going to be a lot of freshmen that come in? They have 13 freshmen coming in. They also have 22 guys coming off the injured list that will be thrown into the competition. And most of those guys were starters and, and all CAA players last year. Rondell Carter, Rashad Robinson. Uh, let's see, who else was on that injured list? Riley Stapleton possibly. 
Um, and then uh, you can you can talk about offensive linemen, Zaire Bethea, Raymond Gillespie, both guys that started for them last year. Uh, so there's a lot of guys in a lot of different spots that's going to ramp up that level of competition. Some of those freshmen, I think, will probably be able to play right away. Jalen Green, uh, the kid out of good counsel, all those good counsel kids. They have three of them, uh, Green, Latrell Palmer, um, and Julio Ayamel, uh, defensive end, linebacker, and running back, Palmer the running back. I think all three of those guys could see playing time right away. So it'll be interesting to watch to see how those guys are incorporated, how all the guys who are injured are incorporated, and what that does to those guys who took a lot of reps during the spring, those guys who were second, third teamers last year. Uh, so it, it'll be fascinating to watch. But got a lot of time until football season, until JMU kicks off their season at, at West Virginia. Uh, come August 31st. So that'll do it for this week's edition of the Rocktown Sports Pod. Uh, got a lot covered today from prep sports with Cody uh, to some Eastern Mennonite stuff between Jenny Logan running the Boston Marathon, me going up to see our Kratz. Uh, got a lot of that covered with Jim and then all the JMU stuff covered with Shane. So big thanks to Jim, Cody, and Shane. Uh, until next week, we'll be back doing it at the same time. Uh, I am Greg Medea saying thanks for tuning in.